You are listening to The Dan Patrick Show on Fox Sports Radio. We had some of our members of the audience saying, what's Fritzy going to do when it's 2 2 2 2, two. Didn't, didn't think that through completely. In 20 no. days, it'll be the same exact twos across the board on the date. What, what, is, what are your plans on that day? Because I know this is a big day. I'm going to walk on eggshells and not go under ladders, avoid black hats, and be very careful. I, I, I'm one that doesn't like all the numbers lined up like that. It's not like, oh, i got to play that lottery number or something. Yeah, Fritzy came in. He goes, you know, it's 2, 2, 22. And I was I go, excited about I that. I go, and? Made it to the poll choices. He's like, a numerology. I'm into numerology. I go, okay. What about when it's two, 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 two? In less than three weeks from now, it'll be the same exact thing. Not a special day, I guess. Right. Let's bring on Mike Florio, Pro Football Talk Live co-host. Mike, I'm sorry for that little... What's know. he going to do when it's 222 this afternoon? That's what I want to know. <laughs> 222 on 2222. His head's going to explode. <laughs> um, thanks for joining us. Uh, walk us through this, being an attorney. Um, what is the lawsuit about? Let's start there. Well, the lawsuit is about specifically Brian Flores being fired by the Dolphins when he believes he shouldn't have been and also not being hired by the Giants or being given a fair opportunity to compete for the Giants job. More broadly, it is a referendum on the NFL's decades-long issue with racial bias in the hiring of coaches. Hiring of coaches, retention of coaches, compensation of coaches, black coaches obviously, opportunities available for them as head coaches, then executives, black executives not becoming general managers, just the failures that have been hiding in plain sight for years. The failures that brought about the Rooney Rule 20 years ago was the threat of litigation, not actual litigation from the late Johnny Cochran and Cyrus Mary that got the NFL to adopt the Rooney rule. Here we are 20 years later, not much progress has been made. And the thing that will, I think, spur change for the NFL is the thing that they never thought they would have to deal with. Someone coming forward, trading his career, because as a practical matter, he goes into this knowing the risk he's taking. He's trading his career for the opportunity to be the one who effects meaningful permanent change for the NFL. Suing the Broncos, the Giants, the NFL, is that all, is that separate or all, is it collective uh, civil lawsuit? Well, the Dolphins are part of it as well. And it's a, oh, yeah. an attack on the entire structure, the entire system. Now, he can specifically point to incidents with the Dolphins. He was held to a different standard. He was held to a higher standard. He was fired when he shouldn't have been. He's regarded as the angry black man who must be dealt with instead of the demanding head coach who is going to lead the team to victory. That's the perception. That may be the reality. That's what the case will try to prove. In Denver, he claims he had a sham interview in 2019. That's why they are in the lawsuit. And in New York, he contends that He had a sham interview last week that they knew they were hiring Brian Dayball before they even brought him in for the interview, as evidenced, he believes, by an accidental text message that was sent by Bill Belichick, of all people, to Brian, just Brian Dayball instead of Brian Flores. You know, I still go back to the Dolphins. If, you know, he, the Giants said that they hired the more qualified guy. Brian Dable. And I go, how can you possibly say that? Flores has been a coach, head coach in the NFL. He worked for an owner who wanted him to lose, and he still won. Like, like, how are are you telling me Dable is more qualified? That's that's a pretty good line on the resume. Had back-to-back winning seasons despite being employed by a guy who wanted me to lose. Uh, But you're right, Dan. Look, every time a coordinator becomes a head coach, there's a risk that is being taken that the coordinator who steps into a very different job won't be able to do the job. But Brian Flores, we've seen it. He's done it. He swept the Patriots in 2021 for crying out loud. So he's proven he can make the adjustment from coordinator to head coach. He's more qualified than Brian Dayball from that perspective. But the Dolphins thing is fascinating too. And this needs to get proper attention and scrutiny. This, This idea that, and it's an allegation I know, 
But that Stephen Ross offered Brian Flores $100,000 per loss in 2019, when I believe that Stephen Ross was trying to do a full season tank to get the number one pick in 2020, originally he wanted Tua, then he fell in love with Joe Burrow. How does the NFL not aggressively investigate that? And if any of it is even remotely true, immediately eject Stephen Ross from club oligarch. Well, I don't know how you prove it, but to have, you know, a, a number like, not, hey, he offered me money. He offered me $100,000. Did Flores corroborate that story with his assistant coaches or anybody else? Is there a paper trail there? I was told by a source this morning, Mike, it said, look, you know, there are repercussions with racism and the hiring practices. This could be bigger than that story because Ross could lose his team and the gambling allegation. He, is, he would be fixing games. I mean, I, I don't think it's hard to connect the dots of an owner saying to your coach, I want you to lose. Yeah, right. It's fixing games, not for the purposes of fixing games, Tim Donahue style. It's fixing games with a broader strategic objective in mind. We're going to take our lumps. We're going to be bad all of 2019, not just once we know we're not a playoff team. We know we're not a playoff team going in. Let's just go ahead and be as bad as we can to secure a prime position in the draft next year so I can finally get the next Dan Marino for this team. That was the plan, I believe, for Stephen Ross in 2019. And, you know, the, 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 the difference doesn't matter. If you're trying to lose in an environment where the NFL has partnerships with seven different sports books and gambling is spreading everywhere, Everyone has to be trying to win every game. And this is going to spark a broader conversation, I believe, about the connection between draft position and losing games late in the season when you're out of the playoffs. They need to find a way to take away the incentive to lose because it's there. It's there. And teams have done it from time to time. They do it adroitly. They cover their tracks. But the incentive is obvious to try to lose games once you know you're not in the playoffs. You get a better spot when it's time to pick the best players the next year. I'm going to play something for you. If you've ever wanted to hear what $600,000 sounds like, this is what it sounds like. This is May of 2017 when I had Mark Cuban, the Mavericks owner, and he admitted to the Mavs tanking. I mean, it's like, look, you know, we all, you know, the Mavs, once we were eliminated from the, the playoffs, we did everything possible to lose games. And so if we did it up front, if we knew okay. that this was a rebuild season and we just did it up front, then, you know, you, you know, you kind of know what kind of team you have. And if you could get eliminated early and then start building momentum, you can finish, you know, your season 30 and 10 <laughs> and end up with a boatload of ping pong balls. How did you tank? How do you, you know, you play all your young players? Okay, that was it. But there is, a, is it? Uh, you send out a memo, or you just say no, no, because the guys once a guy walks on the court, they're going to play the hard out, particularly the young guys, because they have something to prove. So you know, Dorian Finney-Smith, um, Yogi Ferrell, there, there's nothing you could say or do to them to say don't play hard or try to lose this game. That wouldn't be right, and, and I don't think any NBA team would ever do that. But when you have Salah Mesri shooting threes, <laughs> <laughs> that's not a good thing. Yeah. That cost him $600,000. He violated the first rule of tank club. <laughs> Don't talk about tank club. <laughs> right? But the incentive is there. But until he didn't they tell his coach system. to. Well, no, but, but this is how it works. You make the decision as the owner of the team. You want to evaluate the young players. You want to see how the third-string quarterback does. I thought that's what the Texans were doing late in the season when they decided to go with Davis Mills over Tyrod Taylor. They won some games, though. It doesn't always work out. <laughs> but, but the incentive is there. The system creates the incentive. The draft, the way they do the draft, creates the incentive. And the NFL never wants to acknowledge the obvious connection between losing once you're done, like Mark Cuban said, and rising in the opportunity to get the potentially generational talent that transforms your team. It's obvious. And, you know, I've been kicking around some ideas on what to do about it. There's no easy solution. The easy solution is to get rid of the draft. They're never going to do that. But there's got to be a way to remove the incentive to lose because the incentive to lose is there when you look at the draft order and you look at how much gets given up. Look at what the 49ers gave up to go from 12 to three last year, two more first round picks and a third round pick every year. Significant assets are surrendered to go a little bit higher. Hey, if we just would have lost this game or this game, Chase Young would be a giant. If the giants had lost to Washington week 17 of the 20, 
19 season. So there's a real benefit to it and they just need to remove the incentive and and this is how it's biting them in the butt and it'll be interesting to see whether they take it seriously and investigate it or look the other way dan i think they're going to brush it under the rug i think they've got too much that can happen to the nfl collectively congress on the scene potentially they're going to rally around stephen ross and they're going to brush the, brush this under the rug i hope i'm wrong i never I have hoped that i am more wrong than i am right now about it i hope they take it seriously my my guess is they can't because the ramifications are too significant. He's Mike Florio, Pro Football Talk Live co-host. Why isn't there a union for coaches in the NFL? Well, because coaches don't want to trade their careers for signing a union card. And with only 32 teams and so many more qualified individuals who could come in and become, even if they're not good coaches right out of the gates, they could grow into the job. Supply outweighs demand the coaches would never come together and create the union. It also mm. becomes complicated when you become a head coach because head coach is management. I think the union would consist of assistant coaches. Then you'd exit the union when you become a head coach. But yeah. that's part of the problem. It's part of the problem. Talk to Sean Payton about Bounty Gate. And it becomes crystal clear the difference between having a union which fought and beat back all of the player suspensions and being a coach yeah. and having no rights. The commissioner suspended you. Well, I want to appeal it. Okay, you appeal it to the commissioner. Appeal denied. <laughs> See you next year. Uh, Jim Harbaugh, I don't think, gets on that plane unless when he gets off, he's expected to be the head coach of the Minnesota Vikings. What do you think? He wants to come back to the NFL. He wants to win a Super Bowl. He has to deal with the fact that his brother John won the one that Jim thought he was going to win in 2012. And he's got an ally there in the new general manager, Quesi Adolfo Mensa. Whatever happened, in San Francisco. However, it went sideways between Jim Harbaugh and former 49ers general manager Trent Baalke. However, ownership was involved in the dysfunction. Adolfo Mensa was there for the last two years of Harbaugh's time there. And whatever he saw, whatever he witnessed, whatever he observed and experienced, put Harbaugh at the top of his list of coaches to hire when he becomes a general manager. That tells you something. And I think the Vikings are a little bit leery about Harbaugh. There's a sense that maybe he's got to win the job today in the interview. And, mm. you know, you just got to ask yourself, do you, do you want a guy that was 44, 19 and one in four seasons? Do you want a guy that took a team that was six and 10 with no offseason program because of the lockout in 2011 and took his team to the brink of the Super Bowl? But for a couple of muff punts by Kyle Williams, they would have been in the Super Bowl that year. It was an amazing turnaround. That's what the Wilfs have to ask themselves. Do we want to roll the dice on a guy who has shown he can do it? Or do we want to roll the dice on a guy who has never even had a head coaching job before? I didn't even ask you about Tom Brady. Do you think Tom <laughs> left out acknowledging the Patriots on purpose? There is no way that that multi-page statement was something he thumbed on his iPhone sitting on the toilet yesterday morning. That thing was written and rewritten and revised and vetted and everything in there was there for a reason. Everything not in there was not in there for a reason. I think it was deliberate, whatever the reason, whatever the reason, I don't know. You know, people think he's gonna show up at Gillette Stadium and do a one day contract and he'll do his Patriots victory lap then, who knows? But it really was glaring to see pretty much everyone in the Buccaneers organization thanked and no mention of the Patriots whatsoever. You okay with the uh, Washington Commanders? I'm okay with the fact that the name isn't what it used to be. And I was fine with Washington football team. Yeah, I don't like the uniforms, but you know, I, I, I like, I like the old school uniforms. I love it when the Raiders and the Cowboys play, when the Browns and the Packers play, the Nikeification of the NFL continues. And we have a, a new set of jerseys that can be purchased for $199.99 at nflshop.com. Please buy them now and buy them quickly because in two years, they'll be changing again. <laughs> Oh, good stuff. Thank you, Mike. Great to talk Good to talking you. to you, Dan. All right. See you, pal. Mike Florio, Pro Football Talk. Thanks for listening to the Dan Patrick Show podcast. Be sure to catch us live every weekday morning, 9 to noon Eastern or 6 to 9 Pacific on Fox Sports Radio. Find your local station for the Dan Patrick Show at foxsportsradio.com or stream us live every day on the iHeartRadio app by searching FSR. Or stream us live on the Peacock app. Uh, 222... Two two, right, Todd? Exactly. Yeah. Two two twenty two. Like Todd is really 
like unnerved by this. You think something bad is going to happen because it's two two I, uh, two I'm, two. Yeah, isn't there something about eleven eleven? Like there's like there's some things with numbers. There's three sixes. There's all kinds of stuff with numbers being in a row. That's bad. So. It's mbusa.com. Mercedes Benz, the best or nothing. And then Todd goes, I don't know if I'm going to stop at Burger King on the way home. Something bad could happen. <laughs> because they have like the two for six special or something. <laughs> you get the original chicken and the Whopper. So anything uh. with a two in it, I'm going to avoid. As best I can, as we all know. And then the old, take a number two. <laughs> Let's bring nice. in Seton O'Connor, who joins us from the road. Well, well, where are you right now, Seton? Uh, well, uh, so I'm in Memphis. Guess where I am? You're at Graceland. Let's go! Oh, nice. Heck yeah, dude. I like that. Yeah, man. Uh, I was actually just walking through there. I just got a little tour. It is so rad. It's an awesome place. Now, what's the coolest thing you saw at Graceland? Uh, okay, I'll give you two things. Right. Um, down in the basement, Elvis has, uh, he's got sort of the original man cave. Now that's the jungle got... room, isn't it? No, so the jungle room is a different room, which I just walked through too, which is really rad. Okay. But he's got this room down in the basement where, so Elvis is a huge um, football fan, right? And he wanted to watch all the games at one time. And since there's only, there was three networks at the time, he had three TVs put into the wall. So he could watch football because he was just like a rabid football fan. Um, and there's like an awesome couch and a bar in there and a fireplace and like mirrors all over the wall and the ceiling and stuff. It's really cool place. Um, and you, you stayed in Memphis last night? Yeah. Yeah. We stayed in Memphis last night. Uh, and I met this dude who uh, knows Robert Plant. Go. Oh. Uh, yeah, and I was like, oh, my gosh, Dan would be dying right now if he was hearing these stories. And he was like, oh, yeah, no, that's because I was telling him the story about the Peabody. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> and uh, you can figure out how to, uh, like, well, like, how do I go start a conversation with this dude? And the guy that I was talking to said that Robert Plant is a huge sports fan uh, and, like, just super down to earth, super, like, oh, yeah, he'll talk your ear off about, uh, like, football or soccer or whatever, and that he comes down here all the time to Memphis. Darn. And – Good restaurant last night in Memphis? Uh, yeah, uh, Blue City Cafe. Blue City Cafe. Uh, probably, yeah, on Beale. It was probably the uh, best ribs I've ever had in oh, my entire wow. life. They were phenomenal. Fell right off the bone. They're unbelievable. Um, and a lot of people say that they're probably the best ribs uh, in Memphis. What's the plan for you and the French kid today? Plan today, we're going to wrap up here um, and then head down to right now. It's not raining, which is nice. We're going to try and beat the weather and head down to Houston. Oh, so wait, were you that's a different route? That is a different route. So I think we're trying to we're going to try to go. Oklahoma City is going to get slammed with the storm. Yeah. So I think we're going to go a little further south to try and stay with either like the rain or the the less bad side of the storm. Um, so I think we're going to take a little bit more of a roundabout route to get to L.A. It's not the most direct route, but it feels like maybe the smartest route. Uh, Paulie, do you have the mileage Memphis to Houston? Of course I do, Dan. I got 568 miles uh, today. Have you and the French kid had an argument yet? Have we had an argument yet? No, no. It's uh, We've been doing really well, actually. There's, there are some, some stretches of quiet, for sure, which I'm very comfortable sitting in the quiet and not talking to the only other person there. Um, but, no, we've been doing good. I, you know, I think today might be the test, you know, sort of in the middle where we just did all that, those miles and now we got to go all the way out there. Today could be a good test. And I think if we're if we're going through Houston, that means we have to go through West Texas. And I don't know that there's a lot out in West Texas. So that sort of to wrap things up, uh, heading over to Phoenix might be uh, a little interesting. All right. Well, keep us up to date. Safe travels. Yeah. All right. Awesome. Thanks, guys. That's Seton O'Connor with the French kid in Memphis. Elvis. Yeah, I always heard of the jungle room. Didn't Mark Cohen walking in Memphis talk about yeah. you know, the jungle room? So he'll be going uh, through Little Rock, then through uh, like Sh by Shreveport, Louisiana, mm -hmm. down uh, through Houston, Texas. Mm. All right. All right. Uh, Andrew in Washington. Hi, Andrew. What's on your mind this morning? Good morning, guys. Thanks for taking my call again. Sure. Um, what's on my mind this morning? Uh, two things. I kind of had a question with this Brian Flores 
lawsuit that came out. You've mentioned it. Do you think that the hiring practices and the Rooney rule or the possible tanking allegations, I'd like to see what your thoughts are on which one will hold more weight at the end of this lawsuit. Um, Two other comments. First of all, are his lawyers as good as uh, Tom Brady cease and desist lawyers? Are they up to that level? And one more thing for Fritzy. Fritzy's having a great week. Mm. He's gotten guests on in a pinch. Mm. I just hope that he's not an NCAA basketball team peaking before the tournament, which is Super Bowl week next week, and then having a letdown and losing in the first round. So, Fritzy, don't don't get everything this week. Save some for next week. I won't let you down. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you. Uh, you know, they're, they're separate, but I, I feels like if there's fixing games or telling your, you know, saying incentivizing your coach to lose games, you know, that's where you lose your team. Uh, and the amount of money, you know, the billions of dollars with gambling and the NFL is all in with gambling. Like you cannot have this. You might not want to play your best players, uh, at the end of a season, or you may want to see, hey, let's see what the younger guys can do. I understand that. But this is this is fixing a game by telling your coach to lose from the owner. If that if that's true, this isn't play different players. This is, you know, I need you to lose these games because he wanted Joe Burrow. <laughs> and you put a number on it, too. Keep in mind, Sean Payton lost $8 million in salary because his defensive coordinator had a bounty out on players. They were trying to win. Sean was, you know, it was, it was on his watch. So he got suspended for a year. That's not tanking. Uh, Sean in Kansas. Hi, Sean. What's on your mind? Hey, guys. Thanks for taking my call again. Sure. Um, happy Groundhog Day. I hope Fritzy's not freaking out and having a Groundhog Day <laughs> experience himself um i just wanted to say before sunday's game i thought eric Bieniemy should get a job as a head coach but i think now after watching that meltdown whether it was his play calling or andy one of them should have looked at the other one told them it was a three-man rush started running the ball again and i think any gm or owner is going to see that you know if they can't even see that if they can't even fix that in the second half why would i want him coaching my team for a whole year but now that brian Flores brought this lawsuit i wonder if owners might take a second look at him just to maybe not look racist uh your thoughts thank you sean well i did wonder in the second half that the bengals were rushing three had a spy on mahomes and you didn't take what they were giving you i just didn't understand it but you know it's always andy reed gets credit when when they do something well when the offense is clicking but here the offense isn't clicking, and now we're going to bring in Eric Bieniemy. Like, that's not fair to him. Andy Reid's supposed to be the genius there. And he's had other assistants get head coaching jobs, and they weren't calling the plays either. Matt Nagy did it. I, I, I'm not sure why Eric Bieniemy is still waiting to become a head coach. Thanks for listening to the Dan Patrick Show podcast. Be sure to catch us live every weekday morning, 9 until noon Eastern, 6 to 9 Pacific on Fox Sports Radio. And you can find us on the iHeartRadio app at FSR or stream us live on the Peacock app. Hey, this is Jason McIntyre. Join me every weekday morning on my podcast, Straight Fire with Jason McIntyre. This isn't your typical sports pod pushing the same tired narratives down your throat every day. Straight Fire gives you honest opinions on all the biggest sports headlines, accurate stats to help you win big at the sports book, and all the best guests. Do yourself a favor and listen to Straight Fire with Jason McIntyre on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Let's bring in uh, our good buddy, Steve Palazzolo, the co-host of Pro Football Focus NFL podcast. Now that uh, Brady has announced his retirement, how do you put his numbers in into perspective here uh, or quantify them? Yeah, I mean, we our data at PFF uh, only goes back to 2006, so we, we missed the first few seasons of Brady's career. But since 2006, you know, we've graded every player on every play in the NFL. He's the number one graded quarterback during that time. Uh, he's number one in our wins above replacement metric by far. That's the same metric. He was number one this past year. He, we had him as the most valuable player in the NFL. And I was actually, uh, I tweeted that out yesterday, maybe a little confusing the way I tweeted it, but he's the most valuable player 
you know, since the start of 2021, since the start of 2020, since the start of 2018, the Patrick Mahomes era. So I think that's one way to, to quantify Brady's greatness. No matter which year you pick, he's the most valuable player since that point using our war metric, um, despite having Aaron Rodgers and Patrick Mahomes and Drew Brees and Peyton Manning and all the other great quarterbacks that have, that have come and gone or are still around in, in the NFL right now. So, But what Brady's do you factor been, in on yeah. naming him MVP? Yeah, so for us, it's, 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 it's evaluating every single play, right? So we go through each play, and if Brady makes a great throw and it's dropped, uh, we're going to give him credit for that properly, right? So it's isolating his play from everyone else's. And when you do that back to 2006, he's, he's our highest graded, he's our most valuable. And then in, in this particular season, where I think Aaron Rodgers probably ends up winning the MVP, we did have Brady graded higher and more valuable because a lot of those hidden plays went Brady's way where Aaron Rodgers had a little bit more luck in those, in, in, you know, in a few other areas where Brady didn't particularly say like interceptions. Brady's best year and worst year were what? Yeah, it's tough to argue with 2007 as his best year. I, I honestly think 2016 was his best year. You know, so he's coming off the deflate gate deal as far as throwing the football in pure PFF grade. That was his best year from start to finish. They end up winning the Super Bowl, of course, against the Falcons worst year. Uh, 2013, 2019, the two years where I think if you look back at, you know, the weapons and, and what was happening in New England at that time, it was also the two worst supporting casts that, that Brady's had. But I think 2013 and 2019 are the two years that stand out that clearly were not in line with the rest of Brady's career. What quarterbacks are close to him in history? I mean, just so just within the era, I think it, it's, it was pretty clear it was Brady Peyton, Breeze, and Rodgers as that elite tier. But uh, it is fascinating that Brady's even been able to, you know, separate himself from that group. Of course, from a from a winning standpoint, you know, he was always compared to Joe Montana, his idol. There was a lot of elements to their game that was similar, right? The, the underdog mentality and always finding a way to win and all the Super Bowls and all that stuff. So, you know, I think, I think Brady clearly established himself as the best quarterback of all time. But when you go back and if you're even trying to debate, you're looking at a, a Peyton Manning, a, a Joe Montana, um, and then within the era, you know, adding Rodgers and Breeze to that. I was also looking back at 2019. I think he threw 24 touchdown passes for New England. They were moving on. He was moving on. Like, did, did New England do the right thing statistically of moving on from Brady, looking at what uh, he did that season? Yeah, it's a tough one because I don't think their roster was just absolutely in shambles. They were coming off of three horrible years drafting. Uh, you know, there's QB stats are mostly driven by the QB, but very strongly driven by the supporting cast as well, by how many you know good receivers you have that get open. And obviously Brady benefited a little bit from going to Tampa Bay with great guys to throw to. Uh, but it's interesting because our numbers weren't as bad as, say, the raw numbers, right? So a lot of QB metrics had him 25th or 20th in the league that particular year. We had him 12th. So we were saying, look, he's still playing way better than the stats would show. So if you do put him into a better situation, he could perform. And I don't even think New England was equipped to build that right situation for him in 2020, given, you know, their cap limitations and, you know, the fact that they hadn't drafted well in a few years. What, how would you quantify Stafford's years in Detroit? Like how good a quarterback was he? For a bad team. Yeah, I always describe Stafford as a guy. If you watch him the right three games, he looks incredible. I mean, there's three <laughs> games a year, right? That he just looks unbelievable. And, and and he's like, he's streaky too. He's feeling it. And you saw this a little bit this year. He's no look passes and he's just making incredible plays, but the consistency was never there. Uh, my early prediction with him coming to the Rams is that I think McVay would get the best out of him, maybe have a career year. He's just getting to that career year from a PFF grade standpoint. He just just jumped over uh, his career mark over these last few games. But the production is through the roof. So I think Stafford's always been a good quarterback. I've, I've always thought of him as the 10th or 11th best quarterback of his era here, which has been a pretty good you know era of quarterbacks which is a good quarterback, right? And again, if you put him in the right situation, which apparently he is right now with the Rams, you can get a lot of production out of him. I'll ask you the same question I asked Carson Palmer. You can have Matthew Stafford or Joe Burrow. One game. I think, yeah. So one game's interesting because I think Stafford's ceiling, like that high end is incredible. I do think Burrow's a better quarterback overall, right? The youth factor and what he's going to be going forward. The one game element of it though, 
Stafford can do some special stuff, right? You also saw him throw it to a safety there, but Burrow made those. He had a couple bad decisions in the fourth quarter as well. So uh, one game, it's closer, but overall, I'll take Joe Burrow. You know, I don't want to overuse the it factor thing, but, <laughs> but, but, but there's an element to this. Right? Going back to Brady really quick, right? There are still Brady detractors out there. There's a few of them, right, who are like, oh, he had a bad game here. He had a bad game there. We just saw Patrick Mahomes have a bad game, right? There are bad games out there, but what made Brady special is he always bounced back, whether within the game, the next game, the next season, he always bounced back. And I think Burrow has elements of that. Even when things aren't going great, you have that feeling Joe Burrow is going to bounce back. So give me Burrow. How would you, how did you grade Jimmy Garoppolo this year? It was not his finest season. Um, He started off horrible. He was good. Has he had a finest season? Yeah, you know, 2017, the six games that he played with the 49ers after he came over was probably the best stretch of play in his career. The funny thing about 2019, when they went to the Super Bowl, we said, I said we had Brady 12th that year. Garoppolo was 13th in our grading that year, (laughs) but he had that Kyle Shanahan system. So the stats were really good, plus the playmakers that they've had there. So Garoppolo's been a top half of the NFL quarterback, and I think he was say week seven through 18 or whatever during the regular season. But yeah, this playoff run was not good. If it did coincide with his thumb injury, it did look like he was having a tr- trouble with his accuracy. Maybe that was a factor, but Garoppolo was a mid tier at best type of quarterback with high end production in part because of that system. Who were the worst quarterbacks grade wise this year? It was all the rookies, you know, Zach Wilson really struggled and Trevor Lawrence really struggled uh justin fields came out of it a little bit toward the end but they were those were the bottom end guys baker mayfield was was down there among the the worst starting quarterbacks in the nfl so mac Mac jones no not Mac. not all the rookies mac was good mac was uh mid-tier to high end as far as he didn't have as much on his plate as far as what the patriots asked him to do in most games but he was accurate generally a good decision maker mac jones by far the best of the rookies but the other High-end rookies, Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson, those guys struggled a bit. Do you simulate the Super Bowl results at Pro Football Focus? Um, I, I haven't. We, uh, we do have uh, an analytics team that, that works through that. I'm not sure what their, uh, what their results are at the moment, but we do have stuff we've worked on. Great to talk to you again, Steve. Thank you for joining us. All right. Thanks, Dan. Steve Palazzolo, co-host of Pro Football Focus NFL podcast. Yeah, we thought it would be interesting just to talk to him since they grade every single play and that I don't think it was close for MVP that Brady was the best quarterback this year and then walking away. Yeah, Paul. I kind of know the answer to this, but you grew up, you're, Jim Brown left football early. Now, early. Nine, he, nine seasons. Nine seasons. He was the best player in football still, correct? Yeah. Clearly. Yeah. Tom Brady's going to leave football as maybe first or second for the MVP, and according to the stats, yeah. the best quarterback in football. I can't think of too many athletes who've left the sport as the best. Barry Sanders is right there. Yeah. Yeah, Barry's going to join us uh, in Los Angeles. But I thought Barry, when he retired, was still the best running back in football. Calvin Johnson, you could make a case, is the best wide receiver in football when he retired. Uh, I know we're missing, leaving out some people. But just off the top of my head, um, Peyton Manning wasn't. Montana wasn't, Favre wasn't. You know, you might have a, a, a case where Aaron Rodgers will be the best quarterback in football when he decides to retire. Yeah, Paul. When, when Michael Jordan left the Bulls the second time, he was still right up there, scoring assists, all the numbers. When you know, when Jerry Krause decided to do the rebuild a year yeah. early, yeah, still right there. He was, but then he came back to play for Washington. But when he, we thought he was retiring then at the time, he was still the best player in basketball. Um, Andrew Luck had gotten up to a pretty high level when he decided to walk away. I'm I'm sure we're leaving out a lot of people. Uh, Sandy Koufax was at an extremely high level when he decided to retire. He may have won 27 games that year. Um, But his his shoulder, or his arm was deteriorating. Bjorn Borg. Borg was 26 when he retired. And I think he had just won Wimbledon. Uh, yeah, Paul. I'm looking at Sandy Koufax's numbers. He retired at the age of 30, 27-9 with a 1.73 ERA. <laughs> Those are both career bests. Oh, so man. he had the best season of his career. He won both the Cy Young and finished second in the MVP 
and retired. He was clearly the best pl- pitcher in baseball, yeah. and he had his, his best season of his career. Let me get a couple of phone calls. People have been on hold for a while. Ryan in Iowa. Ryan, thanks for holding. What do you have for us this morning? Aloha, Dan. <laughs> I've got a stat of the day for Joe Burrow. Um, I was wondering if I could do the classic music. Okay. Uh, Marvin, uh, hit, hit uh, stat of the day music. What's the classic one? Just the one we always use? Yeah, the, the hard rock one. Oh, okay. All right. And three, two, one. Got a stat of the day over there, Mark? Turn up the volume. Joe Burrow could become the third quarterback on Super Bowl Sunday to win a national championship and a Super Bowl in their career. The two other quarterbacks to do that are Joe Namath and Joe Montana, both also named Joe. All right. Thank you, Ryan. That's your stat of the day. Nick in Virginia. Nick's been on hold. What's on your mind today, Nick? Hey, Dan. First time, long time, 5'9", 170. All right. Um, so I'm just calling in to say, Fritzy, it's nothing to worry about with anything going bad because it already did in Virginia and Washington and Maryland with Danny Boy finding a way to uni- unify the fans against him with a horrible day of putting out the Washington Commanders and their wonderful New Jerseys making us look like the AAF team that was the Commanders. Um, and I don't know, if we bring in Jimmy G, it'll complete the trifecta of disaster in Washington. And I may be looking for for a new team. So go commies and thank you, DP. All right. Thank you. That's Nick in Virginia. Daniel Snyder did not have a bad day yesterday or today. In comparison to other people in the NFL, he didn't have a bad day. You know, you rolled out the jerseys. It, it, it feels like, you know, we say every year, well, this is the year. This is the year Daniel Snyder has to sell the team. All right. He just transfers the team over to his wife. You know, they hired minorities in the front office. Um, you know, they got new uniforms there. They hired a coach that people like and Ron Rivera. They, they dropped the uh, nickname, went Washington football team. All right. So the worst thing is, I don't like the jerseys and commanders. All right. If you're Daniel Snyder, that's not a loss. <laughs> that's, that, that's not a bad day for him. Let's put it that way. Uh, Jeff in L.A. Hi, Jeff. What's on your mind today? What's up, DP? Hey, bud. Hey, I, I got something for you guys to get the seat, and sorry I meant to get this out earlier to him. But um, there is a destination he has to hit on the way back from Vegas to L.A., okay. and it's the only place he can get this in the world. Okay? So there's another SoCal staple besides In-N-Out uh, called Del Taco. I'm sure Fritz, he's probably been there. Sorry, Fritz. Um but so it originated in Barstow, California, okay? So that is literally the only place you can get Barstow-style Del Taco. It is a staple after you've had a couple pops in Vegas the night before to stop there on the way home, get Barstow-style Del Taco, and then drive the west of the way back to OC or L.A. So All right. I'll, sure. uh, I'll pass that on, Jeff. Thank you. A lot of food suggestions. Seton had... I think he said the best ribs he's ever had in his life in Memphis. Although I could understand that Memphis known for their ribs. Now he's going to Houston. I don't know if you go back to back ribs, although they're, they're different style ribs, Sure, but uh, sound like Seton was open to the opportunity of going back to back ribs. Uh, Russ in Nevada joins us. Hi Russ. What's on your mind today? Hey, Dan, uh, just got a little suggestion. You guys have been bantering around some names for Joe Burrow, and uh, there's lots of Joes on that team. So what about Joe Time? Joe Time? All right. I'm, I'm okay with that. I, I like the one that they had Joe Burr. <laughs> B-R-R-R-R-R. Joe Burr. Just call him Burr. What did we come up with? Oh, Joe Ohio. Yeah, we've got our T-shirt, Joe Ohio. I'm all right with that one. Uh, Kyle in Colorado. Hey, Kyle. 
Dan, Danette, hey, bud. One, uh, six foot, uh, a vigorous 160. Thank you. Hey, Fritzy, I, I got a better poll question for you here, man. Go for it. Maybe for hour three. Mm. What is the most impactful game-fixing scandal in the history of sports? Is it A, the Boston College Point Shaving Scandal of 78-79, Pete Rose's betting scandal of 89, Tim Donahue's 2007 betting scandal, or the Stephen Ross game-fixing? Thanks, Matt Rowe. All right. Thank you, Kyle. Well, we don't know about Stephen Ross right now. Now, it's alleged. You know, this is according to Brian Flores, so I don't know that. If if Flores was going to incentivize his head coach to lose games, that's going to trump them all. Like Pete was betting, and Pete was not a good gambler, and Pete admitted to me, the first time he ever admitted this when I was at ESPN, he said he bet on the Reds to win every game. And, and people sided with Pete and go, oh, well, I mean – that's what you want. You want your manager to bet on your team. Well, Pete could manipulate the lineup and, you know, he would, there were certain guys that certain pitchers he didn't want to bet on. Or he wouldn't bet when there's certain pitchers who were going to start for him. And then all of a sudden you're using a player. You might go to John Franco three nights in a row because you have money bet. Let's put it this way. Pete lost. So he, whatever he was doing, if he was trying to put the best lineup out there, he didn't do a good job because he lost money. Not a good gambler. But, you know, just because you bet on your team to win doesn't mean that you can't manipulate the lineup. And what about the nights that you're not betting on them to win? And if I'm a bookie, Pete is not betting on his team tonight. Then all of a sudden you're going, uh, hey, might want to drop something on, uh, you know, the uh, the Giants tonight against the Reds. But all you're looking for is any kind of inside information. But if Stephen Ross was saying to his coach, I need you to lose because I want to get that quarterback in the draft. And if Brian Flores said to his assistant coaches, or maybe he confided in somebody else, like, what do I do here? My my owner wants me to lose. If If this proves to be true, you are, it's not just tanking. You are fixing games. You're fixing games. That's when you lose your team. And, you know, the repercussions that you could have. And now you have the gambling aspect here. Mm. Boy, if I'm the commissioner, uh, I, I got to talk to Stephen Ross. You know, Stephen, help me. Help me understand this. I'm going to ask you one time. Now, here's the other thing, as the source told me during commercial break. Uh, commissioner works for the owners, not the other way around. I said, well, in a situation like this, I would think, as commissioner, i got to police the whole sport for the other owners. Yeah, Paul. But it would be very hypocritical if the uh, commissioner of the league asked for players' phones and records oh, I know. when they have an incident. They, yeah. I want your phone. Cool. Uh, same thing with the owner. I want your phone. I want your emails to see... Did anyone ever know about you guys losing games? Was ever a financial deal agreed upon? I, I said this at the time when they was like, oh, you know, Brady won't turn over his phone. I wouldn't turn over my phone. Not to the commissioner. I wouldn't do that. Hey, let me see your phone. I'll give you my phone. How's that? A little tradesies here. <laughs> little quid pro quo. Is he going to ask Stephen Ross for his phone? I would. Billionaires don't give up their phones. Thanks for listening to the Dan Patrick Show podcast. Be sure to catch us live every weekday morning, 9 to noon Eastern or 6 to 9 Pacific on Fox Sports Radio. Find your local station for the Dan Patrick Show at foxsportsradio.com or stream us live every day on the iHeartRadio app by searching FSR. Or stream us live on the Peacock app. He's uh, the new Raiders head coach, Josh McDaniels, of course, Many years as the Patriots offensive coordinator and uh, won six Super Bowls with that team. Nice hoodie you got there with your Raiders gear. What'd you do with all your Patriot gear? We haven't done anything with it yet. Uh, I, I, I haven't, I haven't, I haven't been back home since I came out uh, Thursday and I'm sure we'll find, find good use for it. Uh, you in a hotel out there in Vegas? 
Yeah. Yes, I am. <laughs> but not on the strip. <laughs> not, not on the strip. I'm a little uh, off the strip a little bit in a little quieter place. What was the conversation like with Coach Belichick when you told him you were leaving? Yeah, that was, uh, you know, that was a very important uh, conversation for me. And Bill and I, I think, have a deep respect for one another. Um, I'm certainly grateful for all the time that I've spent there and everything that he's done for me and my family. Um, Not easy conversations to have. Um, You know, I I knew it would take a special uh, place for me to leave where I was at. Um, And I and I communicated that with Bill, um, with Mr. Kraft. Uh, and again, those were, those were emotional conversations and rightfully so, uh, we, we spent a lot of time together. They've done so much for me in my career. Uh, and I'm super grateful for the time that I spent there. Can you answer this question? Uh, honestly, did the Patriots try to trade for Derek Carr last season? I, I, I know nothing about any of that. <laughs> oh, that's the right answer, but it just shows how much you love Derek Carr. Yeah. But yeah. Derek, look, I, I'm excited about this. Um, Derek and I had a chance to talk the other day, had a great conversation. Uh, I've competed against him a number of times in his career. He's done a lot of great things in this league, took this team to the playoffs, uh, you know, was, was super competitive all year long. And, you know, it's, and now it's exciting to join forces here and, and see what we can do to put the best group around him. I love the nucleus there. I mean, you, you got your quarterback, you got your running back, you got your tight end. Um, I, I love Crosby, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you, how close do you feel? You're in a very, very competitive division here. But Yeah, no question. Um, yeah, no, look, we have, we have good players. And, uh, you know, in the National Football League, every year there's change. Every year there's a roster construction that needs to take place. And uh, this will be no different for us. Um, I'm excited to partner with Dave Ziegler and and in that process and try to uh, improve this football team in every way that we can. But there's no doubt that they had a, they had a successful season. Uh, It didn't finish the way uh, that, that anybody, you know, wants to finish, you know, it happens for one of us out of 32, but um, you know, getting to the postseason, you know, four guys in the Pro Bowl here coming up this week. Uh, there's definitely some talented players on this team that we're going to get to know. Uh, and we're looking forward to, to that process. Best day you ever had as a member of the Patriots was what? Oh, boy. Um, my favorite uh, my favorite memory was probably the 14 Super Bowl against Seattle. Um you know, and we were fortunate, uh, so blessed to have so many great memories there. Um, I think if, if there was one particular day that I uh, might have enjoyed more than the rest, um, it was it was the first time that we had actually won a Super Bowl uh, where I had where I had children. And, uh, mm. I, you know, my two oldest kids were at the game and, and got to share in that celebration on the field afterwards with my wife, uh, my father. So, um, you know, that was it was it was a 10 year gap. In, in terms of us being able to to win one of those and and to to realize that again and and live through that with your family and your children, it was pretty special. Yesterday was the anniversary of the Malcolm Butler interception. Was it? Yeah. I didn't know that. I didn't even know that. That's pretty cool. I was at the I was at the goalpost because I'm gonna, okay. I'm handing out the trophy uh, yeah. right after the game, and I'm I'm thinking as Russ goes back because I'm watching Marshawn Lynch. Because I'm just saying, I'm going to watch. I had my phone out. I'm going to watch Marshawn Lynch go right in for a touchdown here. And then all of a sudden, he didn't get it. Russ goes back, and I go, oh, bleep. And then I didn't know Malcolm had the interception. None of us did. None of us did. I I couldn't tell what happened. I knew there was a big cheer, and and from where we were sitting, you know, we were over there on the bench at the 50-yard line, and it was kind of like, you know, it's down here to the left and you're not sure you, nobody had any idea what happened. There was just a big roar. And then we were grateful that Malcolm made that incredible play. He brought it up two days after the Super Bowl when we had him on and he said Bill walked him through that play. Yeah. Wednesday of Super Bowl week. Yep. Yep. It happened multiple times, actually. Um, I remember, you know, we practiced those types of situations many times and um, I think there was a lot of guys because Seattle had used that concept uh, with multiple personnel groupings and formations and so on. So there was a lot of our defensive players that I think were prepped and ready for the type of play that was. Um, and we're just fortunate that Malcolm, you know, made such a great play on the ball. What would you have called in that situation? 
<laughs> I don't know. That's a great question, you know, because hindsight's always twenty twenty. Um, you know, and and I think you w- what you would call there is the play you had the most confidence in. When I was in that similar situation um, in the Atlanta Super Bowl a couple years later, um, we used our two point plays, and so you know you you practice those for those types of situations. Uh, you don't always have to use a two point play on, you know, on a two point play. You can use it at the one or two yard line in a critical situation. And so um, that's what we had used in 16 um, in a similar scenario uh, when we found ourselves in that spot. Did you ever take it personally when Tom changed your play? No, never. No, he, he had. Well, I might have I might have thought mine was better at times, but, you know, we 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 knew that he understood and and had a tremendous grasp on everything he did. And so whenever that happened, uh, he always had a good reason for doing so. If I told you a month ago that Brady was going to be retired, what would you have said? Um, I would have been surprised, you know, Um, obviously he had such an, a tremendous season this year. I mean, statistically and otherwise, and took his team to the postseason and had a chance to make another run. Um, he's such a competitive guy. And I've always felt like, you know, if Tom was playing at a high level, which obviously he was this year, that he would probably keep playing. I think we all kind of, you know, all of us that have been around him and gotten to know him, know him so well, probably assumed he would play until he just couldn't do it anymore. Um, and so when he, I talked to him the other night and, uh, you know, heard the news, it was, it was kind of shocking, you know, and, um, such a, such an important and, uh, you know, integral part to the league's history and especially the last 22, 23 years here. I mean, he's, he's kind of been a mainstay in all those important conversations about who's going to win the Super Bowl and what teams are, you know, really in it and all that. And, um, you know, we'll miss him. I'm sure we will as a league. Uh, I'll miss him in terms of seeing him play as a, as a former coach of his uh, and, and look forward to his next chapter. I'm sure it's going to be successful, whatever he chooses to do. You were 32, I think, when you got the Broncos job. I think you're now 45. What's the difference yep. between Josh McDaniels at 32 as a head coach and Josh McDaniels at 45? Yeah, I I didn't think I don't think I had much wisdom then. You know, I knew a little football. Um, I've been around, you know, a good organization for eight years and had learned some things about, you know, what my job entailed there and tried to do it to the best of my ability, but really learned a lot about you know, the, the important parts to each area of the organization, how much people uh, need your support, need your impact on a daily basis and how much they value that and their contribution and understanding how they fit into the bigger picture. And I think I have a much different perspective on things now. Um, I have four kids. I've been a parent for a, uh, a lot longer now than I was then. And I think I've just grown in so many ways from, the, from that failure and, and tried to implement that in the day-to-day process that I've used as a coach, you know, in the last 10 to 12 years. So I'm thankful for the opportunity to try it again. All right. Help me understand this. Raiders owner Mark Davis said that you told him that Tom Brady fumbled on the tuck rule play. <laughs> I had to play the other side of the fence when I came here. I, I saw the facility and I said, the first thing I'm going to say to break the ice is that it was a fumble. And so uh, I, I felt like I ingratiated myself to him pretty well right off the bat. If you were still in New England and you saw Mark Davis. It probably wouldn't have been a fumble. Yeah, but. <laughs> probably, probably. I'm part of Raider Nation now, so it was a fumble. Well, congrats on this, and uh, we appreciate your time, Josh. Thank you. Thanks a lot, Dan. I appreciate it. That's Josh McDaniels. He is the new head coach of your Las Vegas Raiders. Yeah, we always wonder what coaches do when they take another job and they got all that gear. Like, you just have a yard sale? Shouldn't the NFL do yard sales? Oh, yeah, for charity? Yes. It's always about the kids that you just send all your – like Sean Payton sends – by the way, Sean Payton sent his visor – the uh, we have it in the uh, studio. This was game used. That's his last New Orleans Saints visor. The last visor. The last visor. Tonight on the NFL Network, the last visor, the Sean Payton story. Yeah, he sent it in, autographed it, and uh, man of his word. Yeah, Paulie. 
But Josh McDaniel probably holds on to his Patriot gear just in case mm-hmm. after. You know. mm. Wow. <laughs> well, the Colts well, thing. Wow. Too soon? Yeah. He's uh, off the air now. Yeah, it's a shot. Well, I mean, I think he's set for the Raiders. Yeah. yeah. If he threw all out his Colts, you know. Uh, now, I was told that they tried to trade for Derek Carr. Wow. Yeah, in New England. That's why he's like, I don't know anything about that. No, you're out of the you're out of the building. You already acknowledged that the tuck rule was a, a fumble. Can't burn Bill though. Right? Hey, uh, Josh McDaniel said on the Dan Patrick show, you guys tried to trade for uh, Derek Carr, coach. Uh, I'm on to uh, preseason here. Uh, don't have anything else. To say. <laughs> Any other questions? Uh, you upset that Tom didn't acknowledge the Patriots? Uh, on to preseason. Ah, good stuff. Uh, Let me see. Kyle in Pittsburgh joins us. Kyle, good job getting Josh McDaniels on there, Fritzy. Thanks. Uh, Hey, Kyle. Hey, how are you doing? Good, Kyle. Um, Just wondering if the MVP for the NFL balloting is complete. Yes. If not, oh, okay. I was just wondering if uh, Brady's retirement would have an effect on how people would vote. No, it's a regular season award, Kyle. Thanks for the phone call. But uh, maybe it would if you were, well, who would be the MVP? Because I, I can say Joe Burrow certainly would have a strong case. You go from four wins and you're going to the Super Bowl. If he would win the Super Bowl, if the vote was Monday morning, would Joe Burrow be the MVP if the Bengals won? Probably so. But that's why you have an MVP for the Super Bowl, and that's why you have a regular season MVP. Yes, Marvin? Oh, no, I didn't say anything. I disagree with you completely. Oh. I didn't have anything to say. I didn't. Oh, oh okay. I think I was raising the roof. Oh. I wasn't raising oh. my hand to <laughs> say anything. Oh. Fritzy is in charge of not saying anything. Oh, come on. Wow. What? what? See, you, you, you give a compliment, and I still getting dropped. Four I, seconds later, they've got to take a shot. I, Marvin is stealing your bit. Like, Getting on the air, not saying anything. See, that's why. That's what makes Paulie. He can handle those situations. Even if you thought he was raising his hand, he always has something yes. in his pocket to say. He'll never say, uh, you, "I didn't raise my hand." I don't know why you called. Todd, me. you always have something to say. Always. It doesn't necessarily help the show, and it kind of puts you in Except a left turn. Except for when I go to you, and you're like, "I, I, I don't know what the I, whole question I, I, is." I, I, I don't have booking guests. I got all yeah. kinds of other stuff going on. <laughs> Todd, See, not necessary. Todd in Ohio. I'm going to the periodontist later. Thanks. It's Todd in Ohio. Hi, Todd. Hey, DP. Hi, Super Todd. Pumped you took my call. Yeah, what's you on your mind? You stole me from Cowherd, by the way. You, you stole me. Oh. I've been a listener for about a year now. And um, so I'm in the shower the other day, and I'm singing uh, Stat of the Day jingle just came out and my wife says what the hell it's stat of the day and i was like hey you know what scram mind your business i'm in the shower here <laughs> scram she's in trouble she's in trouble oh let me hear I how it sounds a... let, let me hear how it sounds <laughs> stat of the day stat of the day pop pop <laughs> i like it i like but it she's in trouble she's gonna make a run at jimmy g man <laughs> she, she, she she nicknamed him something else i won't say it on air but uh, Jimmy G, you 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 kind of get my flow there, but uh, I'm going. You know, anyway. Well, thank you, Todd. Thank you for calling in. Got a little loose at the end. Yeah, <laughs> a loose in turn three. <laughs> yeah, singing sad. You can listen to Colin and this show. You know, like we're not at the same time. We're not competitors. Uh, Nathan in Los Angeles. Hi, Nate. What's on your mind today? Dan, it's good to talk to you again. So, my question is, does the NFL have a provision, or what is the nature of their provision, to force Stephen Ross out if it comes to that, a la what the NBA was able to do with Sterling and what Major League Baseball was able to do with Mark Schott years ago? What would it? Do they have a provision like that, and what would it take in order to invoke such a thing? Probably, thank you, Nate, probably the owners would vote. And, you know, because the commissioner works for the owners, but I would think in a situation like this, I don't think that the commissioner has that kind of autonomy. But I would think if the owners 
uh, or you have a group of owners who make all the de- decisions, um, you know, it might go to something like that. You got it, Pauling? Yeah, Section 8.13 uh, of the NFL's Constitution and Bylaws. The commissioner can determine if an owner of a team has been guilty of conduct detrimental to the welfare of the league or professional football as a whole. Based off that determination, the commissioner can issue fines, censures, draft picks, whatever, or in extreme cases could push for a vote of the other owners to force that yeah. owner to sell. The commissioner's vote, which he would oversee, the executive committee, they would need a three-quarters vote of the owners or the executive committee, depending on how they look at it. Okay. Yeah, so it would come down to a vote, and you'd have to have 75% of the owners. But look, that, that's a long way away, long way away. I don't know if you know this part of the story with Brian Flores gets to trial, becomes part of it. Uh, it feels like it's separate, even though he's suing the Dolphins. Uh, I guess wrongful termination here. The fact that you wanted me to lose. I won games and you fired me. And then you add the $100,000 allegedly that you're paying me to lose. Oh, man. The NFL, the gift that keeps on giving. 